Welcome to the Lionheart Podcast, where we explore the dynamics between health, spirituality, and the natural world. I'm Jenny Madison. I recently worked on an online course with Tim Altman called Breathing Dynamics, and I must say I was surprised at how much I learned. Breathing is something we do so naturally. Many of us even take it for granted and even through practices such as meditation and yoga to actually learn the science and the mechanics behind breathing is quite an extraordinary experience. In his introduction, Tim shares how he thought or expected his breathing to be quite optimal and was surprised when he experienced the biotechnology feedback telling him that there was quite a large scope for improvement, despite the fact that he practiced meditation and yoga on a regular basis. Tim is a qualified nutritionist and naturopath, and since his discovery on the power of correct breathing and the ability to transform our health and well-being on such a dynamic level with the correct breathing techniques, Tim has also become a qualified and trained respiratory therapist. He also has a Bachelor of Science and practices yoga and meditation frequently and really does bring a nice balance between the worlds of the West and the East. Tim, welcome to the Lionheart Podcast. Please share a little about your discovery and the technology that helped you to understand and appreciate better the power of correct breathing. Yeah, I'd been interested in breathing from a number of sources because of all my work with health and looking at different aspects of living that affect how we function, how we, you know, our, our health, how we, our quality of life, even performance. But, you know, I, and I'd been interested through, I'd done a fair bit of yoga over the years, uh, a fair bit of meditating, and also I was extremely fit. So when I was first bumped into this person, Roger Price, who trained me with breath work, he had a device. I saw him at an expo for practitioners, and, and I, he had a device that could measure breathing. I remember going up to his stall and saying, well, what is this? And he said, well, it'll measure your breathing efficiency. And I thought, he said, well, why don't you try it? And I'm I thought, well, I'll be fine. At this, I meditate and I, I'm fit and what have you. I thought I was going to, you know, blow it off the charts. And when he measured me, it was clear that I was breathing dysfunctionally, especially when I wasn't concentrating. So when I was distracted, but it was also when I, even when I concentrated on my breath, I really didn't have great control over my breath. So I realized that I breathed quite significantly. We talk, you know, up to, 25 to 50% less than the ideal potential, which I've subsequently found is fairly standard for most people. So we're depriving ourselves of that much. So I, yeah, I could see that I was underperforming such a critical function quite dramatically. And and that was made me pay attention. Initially I was like, Oh God, you know, it was sort of, I was a bit shocked, you know, but just from there, I knew at that stage, I knew that I needed to learn more about this modality, this technology and how to improve it for health, for, you know, for the quality of my meditation even, but also for performance around sport and anything like that. It was just, you know, it was, I just, at that stage, I knew breathing needed to be something I learned more about. You speak about efficiency and breathing efficiency So could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Because breathing is really something that happens so naturally and we're all doing it. 
all of us that are alive. So when you speak about efficiency and then you speak about dysfunctional breathing, can you describe the distance between the two and what happens from one to the next? Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, interesting what you said in terms of we all do it. So most people think because we all do it and we're not dead, then we're okay. <laughs> but, you know, what I learned on the, the device, the, the biofeedback technology and what I subsequently learned from reading and studying was that, that we don't breathe any, anywhere near as, as well as we could. So, yeah, efficiency is reduced. So ideally what it should look like is it's about 8 to 10 breaths a minute it's silent, a gentle wave pattern using our diaphragm. And the average person will breathe 25 to 30,000 times a day, which will translate to about, four to, about 14 to 16 breaths per minute, often higher. So we breathe twice as often as we should. You know, and, and, and in terms of if you were looking at a person's blood pressure or how much a person ate, if we were looking at nutrition, and a person ate twice as much as they should or their blood pressure was twice as high, we know that it caused problems. So it should, you know, why wouldn't it be the same for your breathing? It's also, we also breathe using our chest and shoulders rather than using our diaphragm. And that makes us what we call shallow breathe. So we use the top part of our lungs for gas exchange rather than using all your full lung volume for gas exchange. So that can reduce the efficiency that you get air into your body, your oxygen into your body for energy production. And the third side of it is that the average person, even though I said we shallow breathe, the average person breathes too much air in and out or too much volume of air because they often breathe with their mouth as well as their nose or instead of. And that, when you breathe with your mouth, up to six times the volume of air can go in and out. Now, the mouth is sometimes necessary for, say, say for emergencies, if you're exercising at a high level or someone scares you. So mouth breathing is actually emergency breathing, as is using your chest and shoulders. So yeah, most of us breathe in emergency mode. And the, the extra volume of air, it's underrated, this one, but it, there's a, what happens with breathing or with the spirit, respiratory system, this delicate balance in our biochemical balance in our, in our system that allows us to get oxygen from the air we breathe to our cells for energy production. And it requires a whole bunch of factors. It doesn't just happen automatically. It does require certain things to go on and when you breathe too much air, air in and out, you upset that balance quite dramatically and that will reduce energy production and lead to a cascade of other changes in your body that then can affect not only your respiratory system, but your gut, um, the amount of blood you get to your brain, your immune system, your hormones, your nervous system, a whole, whole bunch of areas in your body. So breathing, although it's something we do so naturally and we do all the time, I mean, even when we're asleep, <laughs> of course, yeah. It sounds to me like what you've perceived is that we don't actually pay enough attention to our breathing consistently. So it's one thing to sit in meditation or do a yoga class where we're focusing on our breath, which is fantastic, and, and we all know there's some wonderful benefits from that. But you're sort of talking a lot about a foundational way of breathing, isn't it? Like knowing how to breathe as a way of life. And you spoke about emergency mode that many of us are living in this emergency mode. So it's like most of the time we're not in our ideal breathing state because we're in some sort of reaction. So, and I did learn also from the course, this sort of sense of foundational breathing. Yeah. Well, 
what became really important, I think that, you know, there are, like you say, when you meditate, you can, we all know the benefits and you do yoga and you feel magnificent afterwards, or a lot of people will experience that in martial arts and a range of things. Even people who do breath hold courses, you often feel great at the end of doing breath holds. So people, or a Wim Hof type program, but, and they're wonderful, wonderful effects, some, some great things coming out. The problem is that for the rest of the day, which is 90 something percent of the day, most of our breathing is inefficient. So what happens then? And so it's what we focus on in this course. And that was the, the thing that I started focusing on in clinic was that let's try and correct a person's breathing for the rest of the day and also at night because you can fix their breathing during the day and they're still at night, they might overbreathe. So we worked on addressing what we, yeah, we call, we use the term correct breathing and efficient breathing. Or, and so we're aiming to correct a person's breathing so that for the rest of the day on in their day-to-day or automatic breathing, it becomes a lot more functional. And surprisingly, it doesn't take a lot of practice. You don't have to then do five hours a day or you know twice a day or three times a day for 10 minutes will make significant changes in how you automatically breathe within a few weeks. And then, you know, if you persist, which, you, you, you know, it's great to learn a new trick, but to make it more automatic for your system, you need to persist for a few months. But just like you would exercise daily for health long term, it's the same with your breath and your breathing. You can make big changes. And, and it's, I think the thing about it is, is, yeah, this is what we're talking about is the baseline, mm. what you do all the time. And it's great to do other things other techniques and they have wonderful benefits but let's get the baseline right i remember interviewing a great one of australia's really more well-known yoga practitioners and he's also a physiotherapist and it was a i think he was involved in genetics research when he was younger as well simon borg olivia and we did an interview with him that was was i learned a lot from that and he was actually a free diver before he, he learned yoga and he does a lot of work with pranayama and yoga breathing. And, and he was very adamant that people need to learn how to breathe correctly before they learn more advanced techniques. And so I think that's the thing that we really, I looked at in clinic and thought, well, it's what goes on for most of the day that affects your health, that affects your quality of life. And so some of the techniques that people do can be wonderful and they can make great benefits. But imagine if we could fix up and make a significant difference to your day-to-day breathing, the benefits that you would see there would be huge. And that's what I started to see in clinic. And that's why I got, firstly, I got excited because it, it made sense in theory. But when I started to see it in practice, it was like, wow. And there were a few cases that just blew me away. And the client loved it too. I, I love being pleasantly surprised like that. But then I also got frustrated because I could see that people didn't understand and took it for granted and didn't realize that you know and so i had a desire to go out there and educate and teach so that people would see this so this is part of the reason for doing these courses and working with you I do really get what you're saying. It's about becoming conscious all the time of our breathing as opposed to being selective as in in a certain practice during a certain duration, although as you said that is wonderful help but imagine being conscious with something that we do so unconsciously so naturally unconsciously it's almost like it's that little bit more challenging 
to become conscious yep. of our breath and present to our breath all the time as opposed to in a sort of focused yep. state. I think um, one thing you say there is it's quite hard to be conscious all the time of your breathing because you, you are going to focus on other things. So, yes, we want you to be more conscious of your breathing. We want you to keep your mouth closed as much as you can when you're breathing so it's in and out through the nose, using the diaphragm, slowing it down, making it gentle. But there will be, it will be a very small percentage of the day that you are conscious of your breathing. So what we want, by doing these exercises, your body starts to change internally so that your breathing changes even when you're not conscious of your breathing. That's, that's right. So I got a little excited then because it was, it's like making what we do unconscious, making the correct breathing rhythm unconscious. Yep. Mm. And that's, that involves, you know, changing your body internally. Your brain will accept slower breathing as normal so it will allow your slower breathing rate to become normal. Whereas, it, whereas initially it might be a little, un, or a little, it'll feel different and it might be a little unnatural. Over time it becomes really natural and it's actually the way we should breathe. So people think, can this have negative side effects? I was like, well, no, because you're actually restoring correct function or optimizing function, whereas what, the way you've been breathing incorrectly is the one that's causing side effects. And we also change the musculature of your breathing so your diaphragm starts to get used to breathing again and become and becomes stronger and more flexible so that your body will change and that will change how you breathe it sort of likens a little bit to if we practice say 10 or 20 minutes even just 20 10 or 20 minutes a day of meditation we'll start to notice that our mind may become a, a bit more clearer more settled if we practice just 10 or 20 minutes a day of of some of these breathing practices then our health becomes better our energy becomes becomes heightened clarity also comes from that too and and eventually it just becomes yeah natural and where did we go wrong i know one of our topic one of our modules is about where it, where did it all go wrong and i think you touched on it a little bit when you spoke about this emergency mode it's like our modern fast paced way of living has taken us out of that natural unconscious yeah. breathing correctly unconsciously and you know it really was important i think to dedicate a whole module to that because it's like you said we are what do you mean i'm not breathing correctly but i'm breathing all the time every day i'm alive aren't i and it is a surprise to the yeah. to the logical way of of our what what our lives have become so yeah maybe you could just touch on that a bit a bit about where it all went wrong what we teach in that module, uh, this emergency mode, this learning as if making, we make stress a normal way of life, but really it's not. Yeah. When we learn how to okay. breathe, stress is yeah. no longer necessary, is it? No. Well, it is necessary in emergencies. Okay. But yep. not all the time. Not all the time. So, and you've opened a can of worms asking that question. Yes, I'm passionate about breathing. I'm also really passionate about a field we call or not we call, that is called evolutionary medicine or evolutionary biology. And it simply looks at what I would call the mismatch. So that's what is known as the mismatch theory. And that is we've created our body evolved. Well, they found from research that it takes tens of thousands of years. Once some of the researchers suggested 40 to 100,000 years for a change in our environment to be assimilated by our body fully at, at, at the level of DNA. So that basically means that our bodies that we have now 
evolved to thrive and evolved to live in an environment we were in about 40,000 years ago when we were hunter-gatherers. Mm. We lived on the land. Well, it's not the caveman. It's, it's, we were more like hunter-gatherers. And we've created a world, particularly in the, since the advent of agriculture, which was about two to 10,000 years, but in the last couple of thousand years and particularly in the last few hundred years, the world we've created is so radically different to the environment that we evolved to live in and we evolved to thrive in. So we now live, we now created technology has far outpaced our body's capacity to adapt. So we've created a world where we do what we evolved to do in a world we're not adapted for. So we've created a mismatch and that's what makes us sick at great levels. You know, we live constantly there's, there's multiple ways you can look at it in terms of the differences in our lives not just the way we eat the way we sleep the way we think you know we think a lot more even the way we perceive ourselves the amount that we work and that you know the amount of work reward we had is, is drastically different from what they can tell but it affects our breathing and and that's the the problem is that we as a result whilst we've evolved and we can't go back to where we were there's a lot of things about way, the way we've evolved that, is, that, that are fantastic. We have to understand what our body's built for. Mm. And then so the important thing is to say, well, yes, no, it's not functional to go back to being a hunter-gatherer. Our population wouldn't sustain it. And, and, and a lot of what we've learned is great. And these recent times has probably taught us a little bit more about slowing down. But we have to understand what is our body built for and what is ideal. And so that's the reason why we why it's gone wrong is because we as a result of this mismatch we're in permanent fight or flight mm. or emergency mode and that impacts your breathing dramatically that's mm. so many functions so yeah it's and it's not just your breathing it's the you know if you breathe incorrectly or what we might call dysfunctionally or you overbreathe too often too much volume it doesn't just stop with reduced energy production the what happens is the brain then what we call the respiratory center and the hypothalamus in the brain stem, it, that, that area also regulates all the other automatic functions mm. in our body. And the implications of that are quite far reaching in the sense that we can then get a range of changes or adaptations the body makes that can then can affect well, the same nervous system that controls your breathing and all the other automatic or autonomic functions, including your hormones, including your neurotransmitters, as well as all the, you know, automatic functions like breathing and circulation and digestion and immune, it also regulates our response to stress. So it affects us not only physiologically, but psychologically, our nervous system dramatically. And so yeah, there, are, there are a cascade of changes that occur. That then we found that breathing can play a major role in other dysfunctions in the body because of the follow-on effect from incorrect breathing. It feels to me like breathing is the foundation for life. Well, really it is. <laughs> and it also feels to me like it's the foundation of, for well-being, in a sense. I think, I think it starts there. I mean, yeah, you know, it's the function we do, you know, more than any other apart from our heartbeat. It, you know, we can't do without it. You can, I can not eat for you know, a while and I'm going to be okay. But if we were to stop breathing, we're not going to last too long. <laughs> I think the record for holding your breath is about 11 and a half minutes, uh, which is amazing, but from a, you know, without preparation. Hmm. But if you actually look at 
breathing as a function and you look at things like yoga, meditation, martial arts, Pilates, um, so many things that we do that we we know the research has suggested they have um, amazing benefits. The foundation or the basis of those start with breathing. Breathing, yeah. Yeah, and that's the, it's not the be all and end all. It's not the only modality that affects you, but it can be the basis or foundation to so much more. That's what I mean. It, the foundation, it's like the underpin, the underlying. And that's so true. All of those wonderful modalities that really enhance our well-being on so many levels, they do all come back to breath and breathing. Yeah. So why not pay 100% attention to this all the time? As, and, as in, and when I say that, it's like obviously we can't, we've got to get on with our day and we've got to do yeah. things and focus and concentrate. But what you speak about here and what we're showing in this, people in this course is how to make that an unconscious way of living. So yep. correct breathing actually happens without thinking about it. It just happens correctly because we've gone into this emergency mode and lost our way in a, in a bit, yep. haven't we? Definitely. And it's interesting, you know, years ago I did a research review on meditation. So looking at the physiological and psychological research on meditation and the benefits of meditation, and it was unbelievable. Mm. It was so strong. Mm that I'm just sitting there going, you know, and look, we've certainly caught on in the last 10, 15 years. This was done nearly 20 years ago. It was just so, the, the one word I could use to describe it is meditation is medicine, hmm. you know, and it goes way beyond that, you know, into the esoteric realms and everything, which I won't go down that path but today because it's a whole nother <laughs> volume of episodes, but it's, it, it's, incredible the research if, if there were one i've always said if there were one if i only ever got as a clinician working with people's health if I, if I could only ever give one piece of advice to every person who came to see me it would be meditate and the thing about that before anything else because the more when you start to do that then you start to look at other aspects of your health because you function better yes and i guess the point of that is the foundation or the basis of meditation is breath and so, and a lot of people, when they try to learn meditation, will try and learn mindfulness. So they'll go from their normal busy state to sit down on the floor and go, well, I'm going to do mindfulness now. And it's like, it's hard. Some people find meditation really hard. And I've heard so many people say, oh, meditation's not for me. I can't do it. Yet, what I think is if you learn actually how to breathe properly, then you're learning to meditate more simply. And I found when I learned to breathe more correctly i had learned how to meditate but when i learned to breathe correctly it improved my the quality of my meditation through the roof it does have a direct effect on the mind breath it has a very mm. direct calms the mind <laughs> it's amazing because of the relationship between the autonomic or the breath of all the automatic functions the one you can the, of the one automatic function we can consciously control is our breathing mm. so mm. by learning how to diaphragm breathe you can then affect your autonomic nervous system. And as I said before, that not only affects all the other automatic functions in our body, like, you know, digestion, circulation, immune, but it also affects sleep quality. It also affects neurotransmitters. So our mood it affects our mental clarity, affects our whole hormone system. So it has a, it has a really big effect. I'm really with you and believe it or not, it was just yesterday that I was having a conversation with a friend of mine whose mother had been diagnosed with a brain tumour 
and had just come out of two weeks in hospital after a seizure. And I was having a conversation with, with her and her son, our friends, and we were discussing things and she was taking a really wonderful approach to it and changing and looking at lifestyle and deeper emotions. And she said to me, is, is there anything you would suggest? Is there anything you've got to say with all this? And I said, yes, meditation. Mm. <laughs> I really did. It was, yeah. you know, there's food and there's diet and there's many things, deep emotional work. Absolutely. I, it's all important, but yeah. The way I saw it was that, that meditation, that everything manifests from the mind, yeah? It all begins there. So the landscape of the mind, so whatever has manifested physically has come from. And so when we sit and be present to what's happening in our minds, and we do that by breathing, <laughs> then, uh, yeah, I, so I'm really with you on the power. I loved, I've never heard that expression, but I love it. Meditation is medicine. And the foundation of meditation, coming back to what, what we're discussing today, is breathing. Okay, well, I heard that. I won't say who I heard it from, but it was possibly the wisest person I've ever, or well, one of the wisest people I've ever heard speak. Me meditation is medicine. Why won't you tell us who that comes from? Ah, uh -huh. it came from a, a very well-known Indian... Yogi? Yogi master who, um, yeah, who... Tell, tell the name. Guru Mai Chidvalasananda. Okay. Maybe you wouldn't yeah. tell us because we wouldn't be able to pronounce it. I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, it, her name, she's known as Guru Mai. Okay. Beautiful. Um, City Yoga. Yeah. This is the lineage that she's from. Mm -hmm. So, and, and look, I, I will say that I've been very influenced by that lineage, mm -hmm. that school of learning, you know, to the extent that I would say that she has been my teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But what I've what I'm discovering in your journey and your teachings now is that you did a lot of practice with yoga and meditation and now you're moving into bringing that breathing dynamic into day-to-day moment-to-moment living. Yeah? Yep. And yep. that's and not esoteric. I mean, I guess it's taking the esoteric which is fine but some people balk at that it's taking the esoteric to the scientific yes okay you know and it's looking at it and saying okay well let's you know if we go beyond that which i, I don't think you can that they all they're all intertwined but if we if we look at it from the if we talk western terms let's look at the scientific and the practical this makes a big difference we did a whole module on the science of breathing yes was and i must admit it was very interesting and good to know. And, and I got to be nerdy. <laughs> got to be a little bit nerdy. wasn't too much. I enjoyed that module. And I'm, what's standing up out for me is, in a way, the simplicity of it. And I guess that's because it is so natural. And yet it is, from a physiological perspective, also very, there's obviously a science to it. You, know, you spoke a bit. Do you want to share a little bit about the oxygen what we often what 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 is the part what i really want to get in let's talk about with the science is the energy side and you you also speak about improving performance and mm -hmm. we might maybe it be physical performance maybe it's even productivity for some who aren't out right. there doing you know massive sports like you are <laughs> um but this this improvement in energy can you go into the science of that that with the oxygen and okay. the carbon dioxide all right I'll try not to make it complicated and I'll try not to go too much 
detail. The important thing to understand, firstly, is the purpose of breathing is gas exchange or respiration. We breathe oxygen in and oxygen is used as a, it plays a role in the production of energy. Like when we eat food, part of the role that plays is carbohydrate for production of energy. Same with breathing, we need oxygen to produce energy. One of the byproducts of energy production, energy is produced in, in all the cells of our body. One of the byproducts is carbon dioxide, which we then exhale. Now, I mentioned earlier, it's not as simple as oxygen in, carbon dioxide out. What happens is when we breathe air in, it's picked up by a molecule in, our, in the bloodstream of our lungs called hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is like the uber of, for oxygen. It transports oxygen through our bloodstream. So it transports the oxygen from our lungs to our heart and then out to our arteries where that hemoglobin then releases the oxygen. So it's picked up oxygen in the lungs, it releases the oxygen in our arteries and then that oxygen permeates into the cells of our body and we make energy. But it's, again, it's not that simple because I mentioned that in the lungs, hemoglobin will pick up oxygen, yet in the cells or in the arteries, it releases oxygen. So something has to change for hemoglobin to go from having a high affinity of oxygen in our lungs to pick it up to a low affinity in our arteries to release it. So the hemoglobin molecule can't do that on its own without a change in our bloodstream. And what changes is there's a shift in pH from your lungs to your arteries. And what causes that change in pH is carbon dioxide, the so-called bad guy. It's, you know, everyone knows carbon dioxide as, you know, carbon dioxide levels are going up, so that's bad for the environment and what have you. But carbon dioxide is fundamental for breathing. So much so, it's so important for breathing that our brain or the hypothalamus in our brain doesn't regulate our breathing based on oxygen levels. It actually, it uses partly oxygen, but most of how it regulates our breathing is based on your blood CO2 levels. So what happens is when we exhale, CO2, we shouldn't exhale all of it. We need to hold some of the exhale, the CO2 we're exhaling, as it, some of it will stay in our bloodstream and some of it will be a, there as a reserve, reservoir, is the word, in our lungs. And then that permeates back in. Now, if you breathe too much air in and out, you actually wash out that reservoir. And if you don't have enough CO2 in your bloodstream, you won't make energy efficiently. Oxygen, you can get oxygen by a lot of people by hyperventilating. I can get more oxygen to my bloodstream, but that's not enough. It's got to get to my cells for energy production. So altitude training, for example, will increase hemoglobin count and change. You know, you can take up more oxygen. However, you've then got to learn how to get that to your bloodstream to get the most out of it. Or sorry, you need to learn to how to get that to your cells, that oxygen. So what we say is oxygen is not the limiting factor. We actually have oxygen stores in our body and we only use 5% of the oxygen we inhale. The rest we exhale. So we, we use one quarter of the oxygen we inhale. So we inhale 21% oxygen, we exhale 16%. So we use one quarter or 5% of that 21%. So that's why mouth to mouth works because there's 16% oxygen in exhaled air at sea level when we're at rest. So Oxygen is not the limiting factor. It's actually carbon dioxide because there's very, very little CO2 in atmospheric air, 0.03% roughly. So we actually, the oxygen, the CO2 that is produced as a byproduct of respiration, we actually use that 
to facilitate ideal or efficient breathing. Can and the brain regulates or measures it to make sure that our breathing is efficient. So if CO2 gets too low, it'll slow your breathing down. So is part of optimal breathing ensuring that we're producing the right amount of CO2 internal naturally? Yes. Mm. And that when we use the biofeedback in clinic or when we measure, we're actually measuring the amount of CO2 in exhaled air. Mm. Okay. All right. So it's, it's, it's called a capnometer and capno refers to carbon dioxide. So the technology comes from hospitals, but we, it's adapted for us in clinic. So we use it. Why is, why is it so different to breathe from the nose? as it is to breathe from the mouth. And there are times where we should breathe from our mouth, right? But, but mostly it's important to breathe through the nose. Well, the nose, is, the nose is an amazing thing. If we knew how cool it was, we would not worry about its size, or whether it's bent or too big or what have you. The nose is, provides what we would call an, just a perfect filtration heating, cooling, air conditioning system. So then the hairs in the nose filter the air we breathe and the, the, the shape of the, the, the turbines in the nose and also the sinuses create and also the presence of mucus in the sinuses not only disinfect the air we breathe, it also heats and cools the air we breathe so that the air we get in our lungs when we breathe in is the right volume because of the passages of the nose are the right size that it creates, that delivers the right volume of air. It's heated or cooled. It's moist and it's clean. And that's really important for optimal gas exchange in our lungs. So the nose is amazing. If you bypass that, then not only do you bypass this, what we would call a fantastic immune defense system provided by our nose and our sinuses, and this filtration and air conditioning system, you also breathe up to six times the amount of air in and out. And that upsets the delicate biochemical balance. So not only do you mess up gas exchange, you can also then mess up the biochemistry in our bloodstream by having too much air go in and out. And there's more. <laughs> when you breathe in and out through your nose, there is a compound called nitric oxide, which is an amazing antioxide, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, anti-tumor, antiviral chemical that is fantastic for respiration. It's great for your gut and your brain, plays a, a number of roles in our body. And when you breathe in and out through your nose, you produce and absorb up to 50% more nitric oxide. Now, a lot of people, athletes, people looking for optimal health will take nitric oxide supplements and spend a fortune on nitric oxide. Yet, if you nose breathe, you'll increase your nitric oxide production and absorbs, absorption by up to 50%. It's huge. And as levels of exercise or levels or breathing rates increase, either in exercise or when you're stressed, if you nose breathe, nitric oxide will accordingly increase, whereas if you mouth breathe, it won't. So nitric oxide and nose breathing offer stress-mediating effects in relation to nitric oxide, in addition to the stress mediating effects we already talked about in relation to the diaphragm. So it's big. The nose is awesome. <laughs> I've never heard anyone speak so passionately about the nose. <laughs> the mouth is great too, but the mouth is not. Yeah, sorry. The no mouth is great too, but the mouth is not for breathing. It's for talking, eating, drinking, singing, kissing, 
<laughs> arriving and breathing in emergencies. The yeah. nose is for breathing. Fantastic. Interestingly, you can nose breathe if you train your body right up to about 90% of max heart rate, but that's a whole other thing. So but why are people breathing through their mouths? Because like, for me, even if, if I do that now and I go with my nose, it just feels so much better than breathing yeah. through my mouth. Unless I'm trying to, you know, do something like in pranayama where it's like exhale a lot of air, like detox yeah. intentionally. So yeah, why are people, I can't even imagine breathing through my mouth unless I have a sick nose or something, you know, something's wrong. But I can't imagine just breathing through my mouth. I guess it's that stress. Is that when it kicks in, yeah, the fight or flight? I think it happens from a very young age that our body goes into this fight or flight and then we copy. Young kids are incredible mimickers. So they, your body is, you're being exposed to an environment that's not natural to you. So the stress starts, you know, we're not necessarily as a young child exposed to the psychological stress and the demands of work and what have you, but we are involved, exposed to an environment we're not built for and that it starts there. And then I think young kids also mimic what they see from adults. And that's where it starts. Okay. And then and just, we went quite a lot into the, the nose breathing and that also correlates with diaphragm. I'm just sort of touching on the few of the practices that we go through yeah. in the and reminders, I guess, in the course, the, the importance of nose breathing and diaphragm breathing is another one that's really important yeah. as well, isn't it? Yes. Are you it's, just as excited about the diaphragm as you are about the yeah. nose? And not only me, <laughs> when I first learned a lot about breathing and did the training to become a respiratory therapist and learned how to use the diagnostic or the, or the, um, the biofeedback technology to measure efficiency, when I came back, one of my colleagues is a guy named Mark McGrath, who I mentioned in the course. He's one of the, the best people I've met when it comes to movement and stabilisation. And we came back and he was working in a place where there were, we had exposure to all sorts of people's high-level athletes and yoga teachers and what have you. And we sat down and measured people's breathing and we watched them breathe. And we learned so much about breathing patterns and where it was dysfunctional. And, and from that, we learned even people like high-level, we had a triple Olympic gold medalist, for example, even he was breathing dysfunctionally most of the time, a yoga teacher, opera singer, they all know how to breathe functionally when they're doing their specific task or their area of mastery, yet they were inefficient most of the time. And so Mark and I sat watching it and, and he kept saying, they can't handle the eccentric recoil of the diaphragm. So when you breathe in, the diaphragm contracts downwards and the abdomen can expand. And then when you breathe out, the diaphragm recoils because you've stretched lungs and what have you. And when people use their chest and shoulders, Instead of their diaphragm, their diaphragm becomes weak. And instead of exhale being longer than inhale as it should, so ideally exhale should be 50% longer. So breathing is, if I make it audible now, it's... So breathing's like the bellows. When you don't use your diaphragm, breathing becomes rushed. It's... And, and that upsets it dramatically. And so what we are able to see was that People couldn't handle the eccentric recall of the diaphragm. So I was ex we're excited about that for its involvement with breathing. But then Mark was able to say, well, breathing plays a major, major role or diaphragm can play a major role in, in stabilization and movement and being able to engage the core. Mm. And so not only was I excited about the diaphragm, 
Mark was extremely excited too from other levels around to, to do with stability and movement and freedom of movement to do with our core stability. So, yeah. I tell you what I get excited about that we, that we, we cover in the course is, and this has just reminded me of it, this core state that you describe. And I'm now I believe I'm realizing the, the connection here with the diaphragm and the core state of breathing and the flow state. Ah, the flow yes. state is amazing because it's like all the people, when I see those who are the best of the best in the world in performance, and I used to be involved in water skiing and I've probably told you this story, but when people would perform, and I'm not kidding you, like the best in the world, they would get into this, what you call flow state, isn't it? Yeah, yeah or a zone. Yeah. The zone. And for those who are not familiar, a flow state is a state where you experience your mind is extremely focused on the task. And so you end up completely in the now. You they often experience a, a sense of timelessness where time doesn't, you know, they've got, it's almost like they can function. They don't, it feels like a long time. It's like what surface talk about when they get barreled. It felt like it was for ages yet. It might've only been for a second or two. Yet within that state, they actually have the time then to make decisions very quickly. So it's, you lose sense of time. It feels like a long time, but then you're able to respond in incredible time. So it, and, and because they're completely absorbed in the moment and there's this incredible mental clarity, there's this feeling of this ecstatic feeling. And um, that sort of flow state. And, and the diaphragm relates to that again, because we mentioned before that of all the automatic functions, it's the one we can consciously control. So that can then, there's, I think a lot of a lot it's used a lot nowadays. The whole idea of vagal tone, or there's a nerve called the vagus nerve that comes from the the brain or the hypothalamus that regulates a lot of the functions in our or our automatic functions, our breathing, our you know our digestive function, our circulation, etc. And via this, if we can regulate and learn to regulate our breathing, it can allow us to create better vagal tone and therefore learn to regulate our autonomic nervous system, which also then affects us not only in those automatic functions, as I mentioned, it also affects a lot of brain functions mm. quite dramatically. And some of the research on flow states is that it does affect certain areas of the brain. Mm. They call it prefrontality, I think, or there are certain there's parts of the brains that affect our sense of perception of time and our, and our level of focus and concentration and relaxation. And so, yeah, it, it, it plays a role with that. And, and it plays a role with this vagal or vagus nerve control mm. diaphragm. The flow state in the zone, it's, it is, as you mentioned, a state of ecstasy and that in itself would be incredible for focus and performance in any task and it doesn't, it's not just water skiing. And, and that's why people get it. Of course not. That was just yeah. my, my, not just water skiing or surfing or extreme sports because flow, a lot more has been learned about flow because things like water skiing and surfing and extreme sports require mm -hmm. deep concentration, but there's also an element of risk. So you're so you're very focused, mm -hmm. but it, they found that, that musicians often experience it. Yes. Um, particularly when working in groups, but even individually or in corporate work, particularly, again, it can experience it when you're extremely focused or particularly if you're working with a group, then they often access. So zone states or flow states are really accessible. You could be knitting 
Mm -hmm. Creative. Mom, yes, yeah. creative mom, work. Would... My mum doesn't meditate, but she knits. And she mm -hmm. says she, gets in, she feels great when she knits. She gets into a real state. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And so I think that yeah, that's accessible outside of just extreme sports. It's accessible to anyone. And I think the important thing about that is that if you learn how to breathe with your diaphragm and create certain rhythms, then you can tap into zone states or flow states easier. Yes, gotcha. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And I see people even in writing, creative art pursuits, yeah. get into the zone and work, you know, 12, 15 hours can pass and it's like, huh? <laughs> and, and quality yeah. meditation is just one big zone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or flow. Yeah. Yeah. deep meditation and, and yeah. dissolving, just like this yeah. dissolution of self into this something bigger. Yeah. And when they look at the neuroscience behind it, I won't go into detail about it. It's really interesting. Mm. You know, I think meditation, it has a lot of mystical connotations in that. But now that with some of the research they're doing and seeing some of the changes in the brain, it's wow. Yeah. Well, that's the Western really. mind, though. I think in the East, meditation yeah. is different. different uh, they don't need to know that. They just know that works. And, way of life, yes. And that's right. <laughs> We want to understand it and break it down into its bits. Which I don't think it's a bad thing. I think the marriage of the East and the West, our science and I guess the, the spiritual or, or, or wisdom traditions of the East, I think the marriage of those has been really important. It, it takes some of the incredible practices and experiences from those Eastern traditions to the West a lot more. It makes it a lot more, you know, accessible and a lot more relatable to everyone. Mm. Whilst we yeah. love yoga and we love meditating and all that, not everyone goes for it. So when you can break it down into the science and the neuroscience, then it's like, well, it doesn't matter what you think of it. It works. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so, no, yeah, of course, science has its place. It's great for helping us to understand uh, better yeah. from that left brain, I guess, the side of things. It, it helps. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And it is a big part of modern living and a big part of our evolution. So, yeah, I love, I love it. Just love the zone state. Now, I just want to ask you just a little basic covering before we, I'm going to ask the last question about Lionheart. Really, if we could just give a few tips to our, our listeners now, there's a few things that we've covered, which is breathing through the nose, making sure that's really important. Yeah. <laughs> love that's it. How excited you were about the nose. Diaphragm breathing, so taking the breath yep. deeper into the body, yep. bypassing the chest and, and lungs, and perhaps as best as possible noticing if that breathing changes into the chest and lungs and consciously bringing it back because that's a, a stress response, yeah? Yep. And then, then something about breathing rhythms, and we do a whole module on practising different breathing rhythms, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, and that covers a bit about, you spoke about, the quantity of air that, yep. that's really important as well. That's um, right. And then we get in the zone. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, why close, not? Close to, it's like living in the zone. Oh, the more, you practice, the more you practice, the more likely you are to get in the zone. So, yes. you know, just consistent practice. Consistent. Yeah. So, yeah, if I, I, I hopefully I'm answering your question, but what we're looking for, people often talk to about deep breathing. Mm -hmm. Yes, that helps because it slows your breathing down. Mm -hmm. But what we actually want ideally is slow, steady 
gentle breathing. So it's, it's less air in and out. It's using the diaphragm. It's exhale longer than inhale all the time or unless we're exercising. But yeah, it's not just so the tips would be not just in and out through your nose and use your diaphragm. They're the first two fundamentals. It's also reduce the volume of air you're breathing. Make it gentle. You don't need to suck in more air. You need, what you need to do is get that air or that oxygen to your cells. Yes. And the third one is slow down your exhalation. That will happen over time anyway, but be conscious of it as well. Mm. Yeah, so less in and, less, and more out and slowly out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Well, there's some pretty simple tips to take take yeah. away that's great so tell and you me- can do that when you're driving you know you can do that sitting down when you're meditating we get people to do these rhythms 10 minutes two to three times a day but i you know and there's a little app you know well there are a number of apps you can get but we recommend one where you can control all the phases or you know change the the pauses as well as the ins and outs and so there are little technique tips you can use and things you can do to to follow breathing but if you're driving your car just work on breathing in gently and then letting it go gently don't force it on exhale so slow your exhale down and just that there can be ways you know or when you're watching television or you're on your computer you can still be mm-hmm. doing little breathing exercises that are not hard to do and they can make a big difference if i'm listening to someone speak it's nice to pay attention to my breath because i drop into more of a present active listening state as well I mean, this, yeah. look i guess we could sit here and talk about the benefits of <laughs> breathing forever and the applications forever but just really, singing. and yeah. singing for everything so but really i mean it's really about just learning to bring our attention to the breath as often as possible and and then having that correct breathing become an unconscious yeah. or way of breathing as opposed to having to yeah just let it happen naturally correctly and that's yeah. That comes with practice learning. Um, when we're working with people, though, it's not just, it's, yes, be conscious of your breathing all the time, but also do this, these specific things two to three times a day. It's only half an hour a day max. Yeah. So we do those because that, that's where they will make the difference. But yeah, I know. Yeah, I get that. that. They will, yeah. That's what's going to help us to make our breathing correct unconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the more you do that, then the more you become aware of your breathing. Everyone who does this, and we put them on biofeedback, and they come back and say, "I started to notice people when I was walking around the streets, and I'm noticing myself." And I watch someone walk past, and their mouth open, and you start going, "Oh, look at that mouth breather!" And things. Like that. So you start to become a lot more aware. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Um, I wonder if that'll start happening to me now. Oh, you're breathing through your mouth. Stop it. <laughs> I don't say anything. I just smile. <laughs> well, to friends and people that I know. <laughs> so tell me, Tim, what does having a lion heart mean to you? <laughs> yeah, it was a good question. I, you asked. You mentioned that the other day. Look, I looked it up in the dictionary and most references said Lionheart had to do with courage and bravery. It's more than that. It's courage and bravery as in, I see that, but it's more than that. The courage and the bravery to be authentic is, is, I think that word really is to authentic to self to say, well, what works for me and what is, what is true to self, regardless of what society would suggest I have to do or what people think of it. So it's, you know, doing this work that I was doing, for example, I wanted to teach because I want to help, but it's also, 
you know, if it's unconventional or it's difficult or, you know, it's not well known. So you might, you know, it's hard to, you may not get work as easily as say if I was a, a medical doctor and I went down that path, but it's saying, well, I'm going to follow this regardless. And so it's, it's, yeah, that ability to have the courage to, to be authentic and true to self, regardless of whether that fits in or whether that, even if that makes life a little bit more difficult in the short term, that's okay. And so, you know, it's about, I like the word authenticity and, and accountability. Hmm. Because to be accountable to yourself, that takes work and it takes courage and it takes resilience. You know, being prepared to look at yourself and say, well, I'm not happy with that. I could improve this or that. That involves sometimes a little bit of discomfort. And that's what a lion heart is. Being able to sit in the discomfort or the pain or the unconventionality and, and find comfort or peace in it. Thank you for spending your precious time listening to this podcast. I really do hope that you enjoyed. You can find some helpful links related to the topics we have discussed, download some freebies and join our Lionheart community by visiting our website, lionheartworkshops.com. To view this specific podcast blog, click on podcast at the main menu. Please also share this with friends, hit subscribe and leave us a review so that these ideas can continue to spread. Those pretty little stars help others to find us. The Lionheart Podcast and Lionheart Online Workshops is an online platform and community designed to enhance your health, natural and spiritual well-being. Until next time, please think about how you will embody your Lionheart and reach your highest potential as the amazing human being that you are.